Um, okay, is everybody ready? Okay. Um, hello there. I am uh, Mayor Courtney Shipley. Welcome to the Tuesday, February 8th, 2022 uh, City Commission meeting. Um, first, we will um, do a uh, roll. Oops, sorry. Um, Vice Mayor Larson. Here. Commissioner Finkeldye. Here. Commissioner Littlejohn. Here. Commissioner Sellers. Present. Uh, Mayor Shipley also present. Um, thank you all everyone. Um, next we'll have some words from Porter Arneal about generally how the meeting goes. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. Um, I just have a few housekeeping items for this Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. <clears throat> Excuse me. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Now I'll turn the meeting back to Mayor Shipley. Thank you, Porter. Um, next, we'll have um, some other announcements from Sherry Reedman, um, particularly pertaining to public comment. Thank you, Mayor. Um, a reminder to um, staff and the Recording commission to please state your name and title each time you speak. Um, when a motion is made, the mayor will call on commissioners individually to provide their vote, then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and comments need to be limited to three minutes. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Again, comments need to be limited to three minutes. And for those of you who are used to providing public comment, our timer is again counting down. So when it reaches zero, your time is up and I will say time as a reminder to wrap up your comments. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Sherry. Um, our next item is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Um, are there any um, uh, commissioners who would like to make any changes to the agenda? Are there any um, motions to uh, approve? Can we, uh, Vice Mayor Larson, I move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Finkelai, second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, I have a first and a second. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Commissioner Finkeldye? Aye. 
Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Mayor Shipley, aye. That passes five to zero. Our next item is a, rec uh, a recognition, a proclamation for Kevin Wilmot. Hold on, let me switch over here. Um, I don't see him on here yet. That's all right. I'll read it anyway. <laughs> um, whereas Kevin Wilmot, screenwriter and professor of film, known for his work related to African-American history and contemporary issues, grew up in Junction City, Kansas, and whereas Kelvin Wilmot has embodied the spirit of independent film through trailblazing works, including CSA, Confederate States of America, The Only Good Indian, Jay Hawkers, and Destination Planet Negro. And whereas Mr. Wilmot's catalog of work includes thought-provoking films such as Chirac, Defy Bloods, and The 24th, all bodies of work that tackle the untold stories of history and social injustice in our country, and whereas Kelvin Wilmot received an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for co-writing the film Black Klansman, a critically acclaimed film directed by collaborator Spike Lee and based on the memoir of Ron Stallworth, a black police officer who infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. And whereas through his work as a KU professor of film and media studies, Kevin was inspired, has inspired young filmmakers in the classroom and provided mentorship for local crew members in the field, and whereas he generously gives back to the community, sharing his time and talents with the Free State Festival, Lawrence Arts Center, Van Gogh, the Lawrence Public Library, and the Watkins Museum of History, and many others. And whereas the city of Lawrence honors the achievements of Kevin Wilmot through his history-making and trend-setting bodies of work that have grown the awareness of Black identity in our country. His time, talent, and remarkable gifts have not only elevated but expanded conversations around Black cinematic representation in America and globally. Now, therefore, I, Courtney Shipley, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, do hereby proclaim Tuesday, February 8th, 2022, as Kevin Wilmot Day. In honor of the artistic excellence of his past work, the international recognition of his current film, and the inspiring stories he has yet to tell. And I don't see that he arrived while I was speaking. So um, if there's any other commissioners who want to make any comments um, uh, about this, I, I would leave space for that. Uh, very good. Let's move on to the consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that's been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any items that commissioners would like to remove? Not seeing any. Sherry, can you see if, is there anyone there in the audience who would like to remove something? Uh, no. And I don't see anyone online. Is there anyone online who would like to remove something from the consent agenda? We're not seeing any, any indications. Um, with that, are there any motions to accept the consent agenda? 
Commissioner Finkelstein, yes. move to approve the consent agenda. This is Commissioner Sellers. I second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, hearing a first and second. Um, Commissioner Finkelstein. Aye. Commissioner Sellers. Aye. Vice Mayor Larson. Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn. Aye. Mayor Shipley, aye. That passes five to zero. Um, next will be public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make the decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Sherry, is there anyone there in the audience? Uh, yes, Mayor. Yeah, I'm Michael, been up here several times now. Last week I mentioned lawless arrogance. Tonight I want to just focus on the arrogance. We'll come back to the lawlessness. The police department and the city attorney and several agencies in this city seem to think that the core process means that records are closed unless you can prove they should be open. That's not the interpretation that the attorney general holds, nor the law. I believe in the core statute, it states that the it is the policy of Kansas that records be open unless specifically closed for a specific reason. And that the laws within CORA should be liberally construed to promote that policy. What's occurring is manipulation of that process. I submitted a CORA request on 19 March 2021 had been withheld during discovery in a case. Through the last couple of years, I've learned that that video shouldn't have even been turned over as a result of a CORA request. But what happened instead was the prosecutor handed over the video and then refiled charges that she couldn't sustain with evidence. In addition to that, our records administrator at the Lawrence Police Department chose to send me a offense report that was literally made up the day I submitted the request. This is not the original offense report. It's noted on here that this is the initial offense report. It's funny that the officer signed it on the date that I made the request. Brad Harrell chose to make the core process an integral part of finding out who wrote me a ticket. So we found out who all the parking are. It was well within my discretion to produce that publish it and make it available to the citizens since nobody else will. I've made several requests to the Lawrence Police Department to view records about myself, continually denied. One of those denials, dated February 4th, indicates that the reason for denial is a release of records is not in the public interest. I am the public. They're my records, I'm interested. The second reason is that a release may interfere with a prospective law enforcement action. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean I'm still under investigation? Does that mean you guys are still trying to prosecute me for stalking? What exactly does it mean that a release of my own records to me would interfere with prospective law enforcement action? 
This is a manipulation, guys. And I'll be back for another three minutes next time. Thank you. Sherry, is there anyone else there? Uh, there's no one else here in City Hall. Um, is there anyone on Zoom? Um, Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I just saw in the paper this week y'all are going after all stars, um, which I'm pretty much against that. But what I'm here to ask for is if you all are going to go after a strip club for not complying with licensing, I guess. Um, I don't know the full details what all you have going on, but I think it's time maybe we, if, if we're going to be talking about fairness, I say we look at our licensing requirements and fees for adult-oriented businesses. Why should they be paying more money to, to um, operate a business than a regular um like retail store would, or just a, a, like a bar or, or like a restaurant. Like why just because you have naked people around, do you have to pay more money? Like what's what's the actual risk to the community to justify having to pay more money? But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe adult-oriented businesses aren't faced with more regulations and more fees. But if so, I, I just challenge you all to look at the fairness in that. I mean, if you're going to start going after these businesses, at least look at the fairness on your part and the rules that you're asking them to comply to. Thank you. Thank you, um, uh, Mayor Shipley. Sherry, is there anyone else? Uh, no, Mayor. All right, uh, Mayor Shipley, um, that brings us to our regular agenda items. Uh, the Live Well Youth Tobacco Prevention presentation, and I can't see everyone here, so I'm not sure who's going to um, bring us that presentation. Let's see someone. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, I think I'm getting started. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Um, there's a couple of us that are going to speak. <laughs> Let me know if you can see it. Okay. Can everybody see that? Great. All right. So good evening. And one second. So my name's Afton Jamison. I work at the University of Kansas at the Student Health Center in Health Education, where I provide tobacco cessation as well as education for the student body. I'm a member of Livewell's Tobacco Workgroup, as well as the coalition chair-elect. So we want to thank you tonight for allowing us to come back and discuss some work that we all feel very passionate about. I have been involved in this tobacco policy work um, with LiveWell for three years now, meeting with past and current commissioners to discuss what would be most impactful to reduce youth vaping in our community. So before I joined LiveWell, I wanna say the Live, the LiveWell work group um, that did this work, combined with Lawrence Douglas County Public Health, 
worked on policies for tobacco in their community for another additional two years almost. So almost five years later, with so much that has happened in our world impacting public health, we feel very confident that the recommendations that we've given to you would provide the most impact in the Lawrence community to see a decrease in vaping, as well as using a mindful approach of inclusivity for all Lawrence populations to create policies that are equitable. So some proposed strategies to address the youth vaping issue in our community that we will go over this evening. Um, the first one is to amend purchase, use, and possession, which is called a PUP law, to put accountability on the retail owner, not the clerk or youth. So this PUP law is important to note because other localities have either not included it or misinterpreted their own policy with unintended outcomes. So having it in there is best practice, but it also ensures that Lawrence's outcomes is to reduce youth vaping and not to disproportionately impact certain people. Um, addressing gaps in tobacco policies. So we all know that there's no such thing as perfect policy, especially in the tobacco world. Um, but this is our opportunity to work together on that and addressing gaps in tobacco policies. It keeps neighborhoods healthy and safe by curbing retailer spread with our tobacco retailer licensing proposal. And it adds e-cigarettes to clean indoor air laws. So a little background, what we've been doing um, over the past couple months is obviously you guys know we were invited to come in the fall. We came on September 14th of last year and we spoke to you about these proposed policies and best recommendations with what the data shows us. And at that time, after that conversation, the commission requested ordinance language to be drafted. So also at the request of the city commission and city staff, LibWell held public engagement sessions. So we held two virtual forums one was uh, in the evening of December 8th, and then again on the noon hour of January 20th. We co-hosted those forums with the American Heart Association. And for those who could not participate virtually, we had an in-person tabling session at the Lawrence Public Library on January 18th. So from these public engagement sessions, here are analytical outcomes. The social media engagement that we were able to achieve had a combination of total of 12,713 reaches or impressions. We had an email out to area businesses through our Lawrence Chamber of Commerce that did result in one tobacco retailer registering for our January 20th session. We had outreach to community organizations to discuss policies. Um, which we we attended regularly scheduled meetings and we discussed these policies with their representatives. And then out of the endorsements that we've been working on, we have 23 organizations that have endorsed these policies and 26 individuals. Here is some feedback from some of these um, endorsements that we have gotten. So the Lawrence branch of NAACP is advocating with the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health and other local organizations in Lawrence for the passing of tobacco prevention policies for the city of Lawrence, the tobacco retailer license. The tobacco industry has targeted communities of color for decades, has disproportionately impacted our youth. The TRL will help prevent systemic racism and commercial tobacco enforcement, which would help end confrontations between police and African-Americans. It will also help reduce teen tobacco access. The chair of Indigenous Community Center shared that the following language was important, not only because it explicitly provided protections for Indigenous practices, but also because it raises awareness of their sacred tobacco practices. So, unquote, they said that nothing in this 
Indians prevents the provision of tobacco products to any person as part of an indigenous practice or a lawfully recognized, recognized hmm. religious, spiritual, or cultural ceremony or practice. moving all the people around so I can see the slides as you guys get small. So diving into the first recommended policy, revising the Clean Indoor Air Act, originally passed in 2004. Here's the model language that could be best practice to amend, include e-cigarettes into it. It includes the definition of electronic smoking devices, how it include, it would be included into an enclosed area. It has the definition of smoking, the definition of tobacco products and tobacco retailer establishments. And here's more recommended policy language to include PUP laws and to take the user or person out of it with example language in that third bullet. The enforcement piece would have some changes since the current relationship between the Lawrence Police Department and the Health Department would cease and the Health Department would primarily take over from there for the enforcement. We also made the changes for Lawrence Douglas County Public Health's new name in there since they've changed that. So I'm gonna pass this over to a colleague of mine, Laura as I mute myself and continue with slides. Thank you, Afton. Yeah, my name is Laura McCulloch. I work for Lawrence Douglas County Public Health and I'm a member of Live Well Douglas County. So I want to talk some about the tobacco mm -hmm. retailer license and um, the tobacco retailer license will be um, administered and managed through public health. Public health has agreed to do that. So um, any questions that you all have about that, I'm happy to answer. But in terms of what a, ret a tobacco retail license would do, it would establish a comprehensive list of all of the retailers of nicotine and tobacco in the jurisdiction. The public health enforcement of tobacco sales regulations would be at no cost to the taxpayer. So this wouldn't have to come out of city budget either because it would be funded through a license fee to the tobacco retailers, an annual license. It would prevent illegal sales of nicotine and tobacco products to those under 21. It would provide weight to the current sales laws by imposing a threat of suspension for repeated violations. It reduces productivity loss and health insurance costs, including Medicaid related illnesses and death. Um, if we are able to reduce the number of people who are using these tobacco products. And it has an overall impact on public health through prevention, responsibility and accountability. And I do just want to point out that Lawrence does have a local alcohol license. So this would not be a new concept for retailers. In terms of what some of the language and the model ordinance that we've provided to city staff and commission, um, what some of those adjustments would be, um, this this uh, tobacco retailing um, language would actually replace the current Article Eight Point A, um, which is currently called tobacco products persons under age eighteen, and it would instead be called tobacco retail licensing sales of tobacco products, and so that includes an, an expansion of definitions to include vapes and e-cigarettes, which are cu currently not outlined within the ordinance language. And it also makes room for other products that may end up coming onto the market. The tobacco retailers are really innovative and they're always looking for ways to bypass current regulations. Um, I should say the tobacco uh, manufacturers. 
And the um, licenses would be managed and administered by public health. So again, that wouldn't be a cost from the city budget. The fee would be $250. This has been calculated by public health to know um, what an appropriate fee would be to cover the administrative cost for licensing administration, education and training of retailers, retail inspections and unannounced compliance checks. And these licenses would be renewed annually. And can you all see the slides as they're changing? I just realized, I think I'm like trying to click through. Okay, good. <laughs> Afton, you're probably clicking those for me. Thank you. <laughs> so in terms of the um, minimum legal sales age for tobacco products, there would be language included into this ordinance um, to, to make the distribution of any tobacco product to a person under the age of 21 um, illegal. So it wouldn't be on the person that was purchasing, it would be on the person who, um, the, the uh, retailer who is giving the person that product. So that is a change in the current language as well. Um, but it's also changing the age to 21 rather than 18. Again, currently our ordinance language says that it's 18 or under, but this would make it um, under the age of 21. And that matches the federal law, um, which came into being in December, 2019. And this also provides them the opportunity to do local compliance checks of retailers to ensure that they are in compliance with this law. And um, there has been some uh, documentation of what's happened in other communities after they've passed a local tobacco retail license. So in December 2015, Columbia, Missouri passed a tobacco 21 license and they did include that tobacco retail um, licensing inspection. So the compliance checks and they didn't actually begin the inspections until February 2020. But once they did, they saw a significant decrease in retailer violations once the checks began. So you can see that trend line downward. And the, these um, retail licensings and compliance checks would be um, managed and enforced by public health. So um, the way that it's currently outlined in model language for best practice would be at least two unannounced compliance checks per year of every mm -hmm. tobacco retailer. So it wouldn't be um, just targeting certain retailers. Every retailer would have to have those two unannounced compliance checks every year. And these compliance checks would be conducted by Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. So this is a public health issue. And so the enforcement and the compliance would be done through public health. And that would involve working with 18 to 20 year olds to help do those compliance checks of retailers. And then any retailer who um, that was found in violation of that policy um, would be subject to an unannounced follow-up compliance check within three months of any violation of the ordinance. So the penalty, again, to highlight this, a penalty is to the business, not the clerk, not the purchaser, the user, or the possessor of a tobacco product. And so this is different from the current, current Lawrence law. And we're advocating for tiered fines and penalty for retailers. So for a first violation, according to the model language, it would be a fine of no less than 500. And then the second violation would be within a 36 month period, a fine no less than 750. And then they should also be prohibited from distributing tobacco products for a minimum of seven days, 
on a third violation within a 36 month period, a fine no less than 1000. And the tobacco retailer should be prohibited from distributing tobacco products for a minimum of 30 days. And then on that fourth and any subsequent violation within a 36 month period, a fine of no less than a thousand and the tobacco retailer shall be prohibited from distributing tobacco products for a period of three years. So um, some additional language within that tobacco retail ordinance would be limits on where retailers can uh, sell. So one of those is proximity limitations. So one is proximity to youth oriented facilities. And so this is where um, commission and staff can discuss what the, um, the actual proximity limitation would be. Currently written into the model language is 1000 feet of a youth oriented facility. So that would be like schools, um, after school programs like Boys and Girls Club or Van Gogh or such organizations, for example. But um, that is an area that could be um, modified. And then in addition, proximity to other tobacco retailers. So this really gets at um, the saturation among communities. So limiting, you know, how many retailers can be within a certain number of feet within each other. And again, that, that language can be adapted for our community. And then the other type of limitation is on the total number of retailers per number of residents. So that's looking again at that density within communities. So we currently have 89 tobacco retailers in Lawrence, and that's about one, one retailer per every 1,083 residents, just to give you all an idea. And so that language could also be adapted for our community from the model language. And um, I just want to point out that the legacy, uh, there are legacy, legacy clause exceptions within other communities for those retailers that are currently within a community. So that is something that we have also provided language for. So that's something that the commission and staff could also discuss. And I do want to point out that currently in Lawrence in chapter four, article one, there is a restriction on um, alcohol retailers in Lawrence. So there is that proximity limitation in place. So this is something um, that we already have for other types of retailers. And I'm going to pass the presentation over now to Allison Kuntz. Hello, my name is Allison Kuntz. I am with LMH Health and Live Well Douglas County. Um, I want to point out that within that model language, again, there are exemptions for those who are using tobacco for an indigenous practice or a religious, spiritual, or cultural practice as well. We do want to note that um, Lawrence, if they um, choose to look at this model language, will be taking a great step forward. Um, but there are other similar cities who have policies similar to that model language. So Newton, Kansas did pass a tobacco retail license in September of 2019. That did include increasing the minimum age to 21. And again, some of that model public health language. Um, St. Paul, Minnesota also has a tobacco retail license, and they are currently in the process of establishing those density and proximity limitations that are in the model language. In 2013, 
Rock County, Minnesota also passed their retailer density and proximity limitations. And in 2016, Edgewood, Colorado, or sorry, Edgewater, Colorado passed their tobacco retail license and their tobacco 21 license. In 2020, Golden Valley, Minnesota also passed a tobacco retail license. And there are several cities, including some of our, our neighboring cities of Eudora and Topeka that have already added vaping to their public smoking ordinances. We did wanna point out a couple of ways that this model language does align with the strategic plan for the city of Lawrence. So within the category of strong welcoming neighborhoods, the outcome is to have aesthetically unique neighborhoods that provide opportunities to lead healthy lifestyles. So we know that this model language will really help to um, assist with that outcome. We know that when we have those um, higher tobacco retail density, um, the outlet density, um, that is typically coincides with greater levels of youth initiation, and adult smoking. So this will give um, that opportunity to reduce those health disparities within those neighborhoods. We also wanted to point out within the prosperity and economic security, that outcome um, identifies um, intentionally acknowledging, removes or prevents barriers created by systematic and institutional injustice. So again, pointing out that the um, density, again, of those tobacco retail outlets often happens in neighborhoods that are um, experiencing lower incomes. Um, they have minority residents, high poverty areas. And again, this will help to create healthy neighborhoods for all. It'll help to um, limit some of that saturation. We also wanted to point out in the safe and secure category um, within the equity and inclusion, um, it is identified to improve the health impacts to all marginalized identities and to provide community-based education and solutions. We feel like this is the perfect solution. Um, looking at this model language and um, helping to improve the health of Lawrence through that. We also noted that in community engagement, um, that strategy is literally to enhance public health, which will include physical behavior and mental health. And we know um, data straight from Kansas Department of Health and Environment. So here in Kansas, um, those Kansans who typically might have a low income, might have less education, may have a disability, or um, poor mental health are more likely to use tobacco products and to smoke. So again, this helps to identify that gap and to really help those Kansans and in this instance, those Lawrenceans. And with that, I will turn it over to my colleague, Carrie. Good evening, this is Carrie Rinker. I'm with the American Heart Association. I serve as government relations director for the organization. I work at both the state uh, level and uh, with community partners like Livewell, Douglas County. Um, so, you know, you've heard a great uh, overview of the model language that has been provided to uh, the legal staff and a continuation of that conversation that began in the fall. 
And so at this point in time, with all of the good work that these community partners have done, increasing partners and sponsorships, uh, reaching out to the business community as requested, um, you know, we are asking that the commission request a draft ordinance following these recommendations that have been presented this evening uh, with these main elements, uh, the clean indoor air, T21, removal of these clerk and youth penalties, uh, density and proximity restrictions, um, et cetera. And we also request that a timeline be set for the ordinance review uh, and possibly a vote or any uh, council recommendations for additional community feedback be given here this evening so that we can uh, correctly and adequately do due diligence uh, with these local partners. Um, and I'm here to, to answer any questions, you know, to help assist in that way. But as you heard this evening, you have some great local partners that, you know, have a real handle on uh, what is in this ordinance, you know, what it would take to implement it uh, and the benefits to your community. I'll also share, because I was uncertain about the limitation with the public comment, that I do have an American Heart Association volunteer that is here virtually as well. Uh, she is a cardiac rehab nurse at LMH uh, and speaks very well to you know what she sees uh, day in and day out dealing with the after effects of uh, lifelong tobacco use uh, which is primarily and significantly uh, started in youth. Um, so I don't know if there will be opportunity for additional public comment after, you know, as we wrap up this presentation here, or if you could request her to speak now uh, or how that might work. I'm afraid I, I don't know the process, but thought I would call out her uh, participation and availability here this evening. Mayor Shipley, we'll have some public comment very shortly. We'll ask you guys some questions and, and, and hopefully she'll be available if we have more okay. questions as well. Thank you for that clarity. All right, uh, Mayor Shipley, is that as, okay, good. I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> um, let's make sure that commissioners don't have some questions for our presenters. This is Commissioner Sellers. I do have a couple of questions. Um, and I, anyone who, who is willing to speak can speak on it. I don't want to necessarily call any individual out. In regards to the public health piece and um, having public health carry uh, the brunt of this work uh, as far as the enforcement piece, what does that look like as an, as an FTE? And, and would this person have, would this be their full FTE or would this be someone that would be absorbed in the current FTE with, with the health department? What does that look like? Yeah, this is Laura McCulloch. I can answer that question. Um, we Our discussion has been that um, most likely it will be absorbed, this um, the FTE will be absorbed by the environmental health department um, within public health. And that's a current conversation we've been having around that. So yes, it would not be a full FTE, but it would be absorbed by the environmental health unit. This is Commissioner Sellers, thank you. 
And uh, just to go a little bit in on the violations piece, um, do we do you have data on how many tobacco retail violations we've had? Um, I, just whatever data you have, if you have it available, and I, I know it'll probably adjust itself due to COVID. But if you get if you have any data on that, that would be wonderful. This is Laura McCulloch again. Unfortunately, um, our state law also is um, age. Uh, under 18 currently. Um, and so the organizations that collect that violations data um, in the state don't track for those between the ages of 18 and 21. So we don't have that type of data and we can't do compliance checks here locally for that type of data because it's not in our local ordinance either. Commissioner Sellers, thank you very much for, for pointing that out. I wanted to make sure that at least we could understand that because of the the I don't want to say imbalance, but because of federal law and what state and then what we do locally, it does have an impact on those compliance checks. Um, Commissioner, so this is Carrie Rinker with the Heart Association. May I speak to that as well? This is Commissioner Sellers. Yeah, uh, sure. Okay, I was just gonna add the fact that. We do have data from other communities that have TRLs in place, such as Wichita. Uh, if that, you know, it's not the same scale, obviously, different size communities, but it might be helpful information to be aware of. I believe the uh, compliance checks for that community had somewhere in the range of 35 or 38 violations of retail sales. So that might, you know, help inform what kind of uh, uh, monetary, you know, what kind of uh, fees might come in, you know, on this sliding scale as well, if you, you know, compare that adequately, proportionally, you know, to, to the difference in community size. I just thought that I would mention that we do have that available. This is Commissioner Sellers. I, I would be interested in it, especially if it outlines those violations and if those are violations between repeat retailers, either within the same cycle or or consecutive years. So that would be, uh, I can't speak for my other commissioners, but I would be interested in that. Um, this is more of a state question, but at least it gives me, and I, I can't remember, but in regards to the tobacco tax, that is on cigarettes, but not tobacco products like electronic cigarettes, is that correct? Or am I, can I... Speak, I can try to speak to that as well. Commissioner Sellers, Carrie Brinker with the American Heart Association. Uh, yeah, currently uh, vaping products and not the actual uh, liquid is taxed uh, at the state level. It's like 0.5 uh, cents per milliliter but you know it's it's a very low tax it's inadequate um and it's very hard per the department of revenue to adequately collect that tax so that is a challenge um, and then other tobacco products like uh smokeless tobacco chew snuff things of that nature are not taxed at all so that you know is a problem in parity uh, and then we do have a tobacco tax of $1.39, if I'm remembering correctly, per pack on combustible products. However, you know, localities are prevented from taxing uh, tobacco products at the local level. There is a preemption on that particular uh, 
revenue stream. Mr. Commissioner, sorry, thank you. I have a couple of more, I have some additional questions, but I'll yield to commissioners if there's other commissioners that have questions. Yes, this is Vice Mayor Larson. Thank you, Commissioner Sellers. Um, so who does the licensing? Is that done by the city or is it done by the health department? This is Laura McCulloch. Yes, public health would be doing that. Um, we don't have a license structure for tobacco retailers right now, but there is one, of course, for the um, liquor retailers. And so um, public health would be doing the local licensing for the tobacco retailers. So um, again, Vice Mayor Larson, again, um, so who who would so public health would also be tracking the license to make sure they were in compliance, make sure they renew every year. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. The administration and the management of the licensing would be done by public health. And then you would also collect the fees, I take it. So the city wouldn't have any part in that at all. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So it, I, I saw a slide that talked about enforcement, and I believe you talked about non-police enforcement, and that would be the city planning as well as fire and med. Was Is that correct? This is Laura McCulloch. So that is a little bit confusing because there's two separate ordinance models proposed right now. The first slide um, was referencing the ordinance um, uh, article eight, and that was about just the clean indoor air, the public indoor smoking. And that did um, the language that was sent to the uh, city legal staff did um, mostly include the language that was previously there, though we're recommending removing um, law enforcement or police from enforcement of that um, ordinance. Um, and so, yes, as it currently is, there's these other entities, including the planning included. Um, however, for the um, ordinance that we're proposing for Article um, 8A, replacing the sales of tobacco go to those um, um, 18 and over, that one would be solely done by public health in, according to the model language that we've submitted. Okay, so this there, there might be city departments that would potentially participate in some level of enforcement, but not the 18 or the under 21 enforcement. Is that correct? Is that what I'm understanding? Um, this is Laura McCulloch. So the way that the model language is done right now for the tobacco retail licensing, um, the way it's written, it would just be done by public health. Um, but yes, for the um, Article 8, which is the current ordinance that's in place with just some modifications to language, we would retain um, the current enforcement structure um, minus recommendation to remove the police enforcement from that. So um, for that one, yes, there would be potentially other city departments involved to the extent that they currently are already involved. So uh, Vice Mayor Larson, yeah, so the city would not be involved in any compliance inspections. Is that my understanding? This is Laura McCulloch. There would be no additional compliance inspections requested of city staff. Okay, thank you. That's all I have right now. Thank you. Commissioner Finkelai, a few uh, clarifying questions, um, and, 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 and I guess to lead into that question, first of all, I was a little confused too until I went in and read what Article 8 says now and what Article 8A says now. Um, you know, Article 8 is, you, you know, smoking in public. Article 8A is people under 18 can't buy or possess cigarettes. And so we're completely getting rid of 8A 
and saying a retailer can't sell to anyone under 21, completely removing the um, possession or criminalization of possession or purchasing of a minor of um, of tobacco products. So I, I certainly support that. But a couple of clarifications. You, you pro provided two sets of model language, uh, but the model language you included in Article 8 does not change. You haven't proposed any specific language on how to change um, what's prohibited under Article 8, correct? In the, in the slide, you say we should change it so that the retailer, but the actual proposed language you included doesn't have that actual text, right? Am, am I reading that correct? This is Laura McCulloch. Yeah, it's a little confusing because um, there isn't a lot of change to the language um, that we've submitted for the model language for Article 8, which is that indoor smoking. Um, the, the primary um, modifications are expanding the definition of a tobacco product and smoking to include vape and e-cigarette products. And in addition to that, the current model language that we submitted, I believe, um, hasn't um, crossed out police enforcement. However, our recommendation is that police enforcement be removed from that enforcement and compliance piece. And um, in addition to that, um, that the primary responsibility be put on the business or the property owner um, in terms of um, their responsibility for ensuring that people aren't using tobacco products, including vaping within their facilities. Commissioner Finkelai, again, I just want to, this is more of a technical question, not a policy question, but maybe Afton, can, can you pull up your slides again and go to um, the slide that says adding vaping to clean indoor air act, which is page seven of 54 of our packet. Okay, so go go up one one page from that, one slide from that. Okay, Commissioner Finkelai, so I understand, so when I look at the model language, you also proposed in our packet, all of the changes on this chart are shown in that model. It, it, you know, you've, you've, you've included actual text for us to consider. But now flip to the next slide. This this first bullet point, I just want to be clear. You don't, you've not proposed any language, beside, except for what's in this little slide in the proposed resolution. Correct? I didn't see that anywhere, and that's what I'm just trying to confirm. This is Laura McCulloch. Yes, this this verbiage is not currently in the model language um, wording that we sent to you all. Um, this type of language has been shared with the point person that we were assigned to on city staff, which was Maria Garcia. But yes, it's not currently in the model language that we've sent on to you all. So this would be a point of discussion uh, for commission. Okay, that's, I want to be clear on that. And, and again, the that second bullet point 
of enforcement, you did include that in the model language, but no other changes in the model language. Okay. Um, and I guess more of a, a technical question as well. I know public health has licenses that they issue, I think, for certain things, um, or maybe they manage for the state. But does the public health currently manage any city licenses or enforce any city licenses? Or would this be a new um, kind of paradigm? This is Laura McCulloch. Um, I know that public health does the, the child care licensing. Um, and also I'm not absolutely sure, and this is something I can bring back to um, others at public health. I'm not exactly sure if we have some part in the management of the liquor licensing in the city or not. Okay, but the I, I think you've said that this language was passed in Newton. So does Newton do the same thing where they have a city license, but it's it's, managed and enforced by their public health? Laura McCulloch, yes, that's correct. Okay. So again, I think that just from a legal perspective, I just want to think that through about how that, that works. Um, and then let's see. And then the, the the thousand feet that's in the in the the language is that thousand feet? Did you say that's the model language you're proposing, or where did you come up with the the thousand feet as opposed to, for example, the two hundred feet we have for alcohol in our current code? This is Laura McCulloch. That came from looking at what other communities have done. So certainly that can be a point of discussion on what is appropriate for our community. Okay. Is that, is that, um, is there a, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then, I think the last question I had, well, I forgot the last question. Okay, I'll pass for, for now. Thank you, that was helpful. Mayor Shad, any oh, other sorry. Go ahead. This is Commissioner Sellers. I just wanted to make a quick uh, just point, point of reference when it comes to chapter licensing. There is a local, there is a licensing office in in our in our Lawrence Douglas County Health Department that starts the licensing process. Um, but then that inf that information is then sent up to the state. So while it is a licensing, they're not the overseer of licenses and in the city of Lawrence or Douglas County that that they're just a passer they they're passed through so i while it is it is a licensing unit within the the health department it, it's not they're not necessarily the keeper of licenses child care licenses in Lawrence and Douglas County that actually goes up to the state so that's just kind of a just a point of information cuz I, I don't want people to think that child care licenses are handled here in town, they're actually still handled in, in Topeka. They we're just a pastor where they have someone here that does the inspections, the initial um, inspections and annual surveys and compliance checks. I just wanted to, to make a note of that. Um, I did have a question about um, the proximity um, in regards to the language, but um, I know you gave an example of the language around the um, 
proximity as it related to alcohol licenses. And so I didn't know if you knew in similar municipalities, if that language was, you know, if it's, you know, I think the example you gave was 200 feet. So is it if it's 200 feet for alcohol, it's 200 feet for tobacco, or is there one that's typically greater than the other one outside of the grandfathering? So do you have information on that? So if in Wichita, the alcohol, you know, is do their proximities marry each other or are there variances in them? This is Laura McCulloch. I don't have an answer to that. I don't know, Carrie, if you know what other communities have done. I don't know. You know, this would be a first for Kansas to have tobacco proximity and density restrictions. So we don't have anything to compare it to in that regard. Um, you know, as you shared, there are other communities in other states that have considered this um, and have discussed what the appropriate parameters are. Um, I could find out uh, what, you know, the majority are, if they mirror, if they stayed close to that um, 1,000 feet um, restriction, recommended restriction in the model ordinance, and then relating to the question about how it is relative to alcohol, I don't have the answer to that either because of the newness of this in the state of Kansas. Um, and I thought I might mention also just because I was busy trying to pull up all of the information that we've uh, amassed here over this conversation. And uh, when Commissioner Finkel Dye was asking about the clean indoor air recommendations, I believed originally regarding 9-812, we had recommended that uh, the person, Section C, I think it was, be removed from that. Um, yeah, section, so 9-812 violations and penalties in that clean indoor air ordinance, 85-34, um, section C says it shall be unlawful for any person to smoke in any area where smoking is prohibited. We, you know, as a group had determined that just striking that might also uh, eliminate, um, you know, confrontations with individuals. So I'm not sure if that was coming up through that discussion earlier, but uh, I just pulled that up as we were talking in case that's helpful because I'm not sure that that was included in the slides uh, per uh, Commissioner Finkeldye's uh, observation. And that's a question I think, as Laura was saying, um, we aren't, you know, we don't have a firm position on enforcement um, in clean or indoor air policies at the American Heart Association. But just looking at that, that's the reason why much of this work forward paused is because initially we thought it would be an easy uh, change to make uh, to this local ordinance to add the vaping products. And then in looking at it closer, which such a high concern and regard for uh, equity in the community in this policy, we did you know, think that greater discussion should be had about that. So that was our initial recommendation was to remove C. And also, since I've got the floor here, um, I did misspeak earlier when asked about the tobacco tax. I did go back and look to make sure I was giving you correct information. I told you it was $1.39. It's $1.29. So thank you. 
Commissioner Sellers, did you have any more questions? This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, I just had, I had a public health question just in regards to, and it, I mean, if the group can answer it, they can, if not, it's just more for my own edification. But I know, um, I don't know when the last time a, a breakfast was done in Kansas, but do we know what our tobacco numbers are in, in Lawrence specifically as it relates to tobacco use and, and e-cigarette use? Do you I don't have, have any questions on trends? Oh, sorry, this is Laura McCulloch. I don't have those numbers right in front of me, but yes, I do have the data that was most recently done. Unfortunately, it hasn't been done um, all that recently, particularly for the community level, um, though there is um, some state data that just was recently released. So I can get that to you. I don't have it in front of me right now, though. This is Commissioner Sellers. That's fine. I appreciate taking a look at that. Thank you. This is Vice Mayor Larson. I have a quick question, Mayor. Um, is there a definition for youth-oriented facilities? This is Laura McCulloch. Um, in, in the current language, no. So that could be better defined. Um, but um, I can look to see if there are other communities that have more defined language for that. That would be helpful. Thank you. Any further questions at this time from commissioners? Okay, let's go to public comment. Um, is there anyone there in in the building, Sherry? Uh, there is not, Mayor. Um, I'll let you um, see if there's anyone in the Zoom. Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I have some thoughts about this. This is horrible, basically. I am completely against this. And when, okay, we're talking about outreach. They they did outreach, right? I think they said one retailer even attended or something. Uh, but also in the report, it said there were 89. So does that mean only one out of 89 retailers was engaged with this process? I don't Okay, that's that's one flaw with the engagement, but here's what I want to know. Did anyone go specifically to some of these vapor smoke shops? Um, there's one right a couple blocks from me. I think it's called Vape 100, I think. Uh, there's also Neon Leaf. Um, there's a bunch. Did the city hand out some kind of survey asking people, do you want any of this bullshit they're proposing? I, they wouldn't use the word bullshit. They just say, you know, do you want any of these proposals? I don't think most of the engagement done in the in smoke shops would come back positive in favor of this. And they're the ones that are affected the most. Smokers and 18 to 20 year olds are the ones affected most by these proposed by these proposed changes. So if we're going to be doing engagement, shouldn't we be trying to reach out to the ones affected the most? And then also when it comes to law enforcement, we're not going to go after the buyers. I'm just going to say that's kind of bullshit also because like just a couple of years ago, the city created an underage drinking task force that went to the like liquor stores and bars, I think, and started cracking down on um, 
students that were using fake IDs. So here's my question. What's going to happen to students using fake IDs to buy cigarettes? I, I, I think the law enforcement might be in getting involved with that. And also what happens to not necessarily retailers, let's say a 21 year old buys a pack of cigarettes for his 20 year old friend. What kind of punishment will the, that seller be looking at? Will he be retail? Will he be treated as a retailer or will he be sent through like some kind of law enforcement thing? Um, let's see. Um, when it comes to also just as a poor person, um, I just would appreciate the Karens of government agencies to quit making it harder for me and people like me to enjoy the products we enjoy. Cause that's what it is. It's making it harder and it's making it more expensive for poor people to have cigarettes. Because I've, I've been through this with like K2 when, that, the, when the government started cracking down on that. And then I had to drive to Kansas Hi. City to buy it cause it was illegal here. So I'm just saying some of that. So thank you. Thanks, Chris. Is there anyone else? Sorry, Mayor. Hi, this is Leanne Dixon. I'm a nurse in Lawrence Memorial Hospital. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Um, yeah, and I have um, worked with American Heart Association for many years, and I'm on the advocacy committee. Um, and I work daily with uh, heart attack patients and um, smokers. And now with vapors, um, I don't know if that's what we determine them as vapors, but uh, people that vape, uh, we are seeing more and more younger people with uh, cardiovascular diseases, whether it's being stroke, heart attacks, um, and uh, pulmonary issues. Um, I also work with our pulmonary rehab program, so we're starting to see um, results of vaping with pulmonary uh, lung disease. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of passionate about um, this uh, TRL um, ordinance and helping improve the community health, improve our um, reducing, you know, healthcare costs um, and um, reducing heart attacks and strokes in patients. And I know that we're talking, you know, um, young, but that's where the addiction starts. And so um, if we're um, trying to keep this, um, cigarettes away from the schools and away from um, people under 21. Um, they know that that's the highest addictive brain and um, that leads to long-term smoking, long-term vaping and um, increased cardiovascular disease and pulmonary diseases that I see and work with daily. So um, I do believe that in the city of Newton, there was no opposition to the um, TRL that they have. Um, according to some of our um, data. Um, and um, I do support uh, this ordinance and you guys um, reviewing the TRL. Thank you. Amir, I don't see anyone else um, on Zoom that wants to provide comment on this item. Great, thank you, Sherry. Uh, Mayor Shipley, let's bring it back to commissioners. Um, 
Mayor, Mayor, this is Vice Mayor Larson. Um, I did have, one, I apologize, I do have one more question for the presenters. Could you walk me through as to what a compliance inspection would look like? What exactly are you looking for when you actually go into the facility or the store, I should say? This is Laura McCulloch. So the way that other communities have done this and the way that it's kind of written into the model ordinance language is that um, we would be working with youth that are between the ages of 18 and 20 to go in and do purchases. And so um, they would need to be allowed per city ordinance to go in and do those underage buys. And then we would collect that data of whether they were sold to or not via those um, compliance checks. And again, compliance checks would be done of all retailers. So we wouldn't be targeting any one retailer. They would be unannounced, however. And then we would collect that data and look for violations. Um, and then that's where that tiered system would come into effect. Um, we're hoping to see at least two unannounced compliance checks every year per that system. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mayor Shipley, any other uh, comments? I, I did have one, uh, just a quick one. Um, in your engagement piece uh, with the public, uh, I was just curious, um, for the most part was uh, uh, just to kind of get a feel of it. Were there any positive, uh, it was I, I would guess it was mostly positive, but were there any negative comments that were submitted or any, uh, any comments along the line of what Mr. Flowers said, uh, people that might have been opposed to it? This is Laura McCulloch and I can answer and others can jump in, but um you know, we had two virtual sessions. We had the table lead session at the library. Everybody was invited to those sessions. We sent it out through social media, through different email listservs, um, sending it directly to organizations for them to send it out to their um, members. And we have never received any negative feedback whatsoever. We've just received questions regarding um, what it might look like and considerations, which were included in that public engagement summary and the agenda packet as well. But yes, to date, we have not received any direct negative um, or um, complaints about these types of policies. And I'd like to, this is Carrie Rinker, American Heart Association, echo what uh, Leanne Dixon shared in the public comment piece that when Newton considered this two years ago, there was no one that came to oppose the tobacco retail license, no retailers at all. And their fee, their license fee in Newton is over $400. And the one that's being considered here, uh, in this model ordinance, I believe is $250, if I'm correct. Yeah, Laura's nodding her head. Um, so that's a significant uh, item of note, I think. And then also Wichita's tobacco retail license that has compliance checks, et cetera. Uh, you know, similarly, except I think the Board of Public Utilities oversees it there. They've had this uh, compliant, this tobacco retail license set up uh, since the early 1990s. So it is standardized, it's normalized, and you know absorbed by the utilities committee there. So just sharing uh, that the the lack of um, negativity really didn't surprise me when we first spoke about this in the fall. Uh, I more or less predicted that this is you know not a horribly controversial uh, proposal uh, that was being considered uh, at at this juncture. So thank you. This is Vice Mayor Larson, and um, 
the TR21, I, 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 I strongly support as well as the other items they brought forth. The only one I'm having difficulty with, and I'd like to hear what other commissioners think about that, is their um, desire to have uh, limitations on the density as well as the proximity re restrictions. I'm struggling with that part of it, so I'd appreciate um, hearing what others have to say. Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, to that note, I was also thinking about that. Do we have any sort of, granted, I, I didn't see anything in the packet, but do we have any sort of information about what the current proximity is um, uh, in terms of uh, retailers to youth-oriented facilities or um, the proposed language to, um, for the TRL? This is Commissioner Sellers. Was that a question for the group or the question for commissioners? Uh, or group. for the city staff? I, I guess for the city staff. Um, since uh, the group, I wouldn't expect the group to have it. Uh, thank you for the clarification, Commissioner Sellers. Commissioner Fingal, I just to be clear, I don't think city staff has looked at this yet, so they wouldn't have that information either. We've not asked them to look at that. But um, I would also tend to say, you know, if assuming we go down this route or if we go down this route i would i would probably not include that um at this point i'd rather get the retail licensing in place get that up and running um and then you know maybe consider that at a, a different time i think there's lots of implications to that both um you know from the city staff point of view like you said just that question trying to figure that out and what does it mean as well as adding work, um, adding additional layers. And again, it might, you know, might be something to consider in the future, but as we want to move some of these forward, I think that would be a complicating factor um, that would make this a lot more complicated. So I'd probably lean towards keeping that out. Um, so I agree with that. The other one I'm, I'm struggling with that I'd also be interested is, as people, commissioners are talking about, is I certainly understand, I mean, the idea not to punish the wholeheartedly on the retail side, the purchase side, um, to change, you know, the purchasing of 18 to the retail of selling it, all for that. But on the use side, I mean, currently now, if, 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 if I walked into the sandbar and lit up a cigarette, right, I'd be breaking the law and I could, you know, someone could, stop me if we take out that ordinance if we take out the use um you know the the provision now it would be on on the on the licensee which is in there now right the, the i mean the bar owner for example would uh, also could be cited if they allowed me to do it but i also could be cited both of those are in there i certainly understand that the point of trying to limit enforcement actions um but as we start, you know, if we implement a vaping ordinance, we add that in. But at the same time, we say we don't want you to vape in public, in public places, but we won't, you, you can't get in trouble for vaping in public places. The only person who can get in trouble for vaping in public places are the owners of the business. I'm not sure how, what that does to compliance. You know, flip side, I understand that we don't want 
police officers or others, you know, just arresting people randomly. But, you know, since we've implemented the smoking ordinance back in the day, that wasn't a big problem. So again, I struggle a little bit with that. I, I go back and forth on that, um, on which way to go um, on that. So, um, but most of the other provisions I'm, I'm, I'm pretty supportive of. This is Commissioner Sellers. I guess Commissioner Finkel and I, I took those as two separate. I didn't take the tobacco retail license to impact businesses that are enforcing clean indoor air acts, but I that that I could have been wrong in that. But Commissioner Finkel, I, I that, that's the question I asked to clarify. The model language they provided us did not change it for the the smoking use but they did have that slide in which they recommended and then Lloyd and then Carrie came on and said we might remove 9812c 9812c currently says um 9812c is any person um it shall be unlawful for any person to smoke in an area where smoking is prohibited by the provisions of this article so that's 9812C is what currently makes it illegal to smoke in public places. You know, one of those suggestions is to strike that um, and at the same time add vaping in. I certainly think we should add vaping into this. I'm just not sure yet if I would support it. And we're not making a decision tonight, right? We're making recommendations on, on what to look yeah. at. I'm just saying that one, I'm not quite sure if we want to, if I'm ready to go there, but maybe I would be. Okay. This is Commissioner Sellers. Okay. I I I took it as as two different. So but I'm definitely if I misinterpreted that, then I, I see I see your point where you would have some some consternation around that. Um I you know the proximity piece, you know, is is something that I think you know is up for discussion. I you know it it was shared in that it can be grandfathered. Um, so what, with that being said is that, I mean, we could say that at the current state, the current retailers, if we have a, if we set a proximity standard, then those current retailers, these current 89 retailers would be, they would be grandfathered in. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in violation of that proximity piece. It would be any retail, re, tobacco retailer after this has been implemented then they would have to um, comply they could potentially comply to that piece so i think that's where i interpreted the language in regards to the grandfathering for the proximity so we could put it in there to have the proximity and then you would have to have additional language to have the grandfathering mechanism to say any retail license you know retailer that opens up after you know date of publication, if you know, whatever it may be, then they would have to comply with that proximity piece. Um, so I can see it both ways of either just waiting, getting what we can put in there and revisiting that proximity piece once we have a, a clean document, if that's the way, you know, a clean ordinance, if that's the way we want to go with that, no pun intended, um, or look at it in the capacity that the grandfather language if there was a density, a proximity piece in there, you would have grandfather language. We see that in regulations that I've reviewed where you have 
grandfather language because there is a quick turnaround and then that language either it stays in or it's usually sun, it's a sunset language. So we probably wouldn't have a sunset language, but it would be something in there for perpetuity or until or whatever, until next amendments in there too. So Mayor Shibley, I I'm, might be inclined um, partially because we don't have good data as they indicated um, to agree if that was what um, Commissioner Finkel, I was suggesting that we not do proximity now, but um, get licensure implemented and then revisit it. And then we would have good data that we would be making that decision with. Um, I also wanted to make sure, I'm not sure or 100% sure that we addressed uh, Vice Mayor Larson's question. Um, did uh, did you want to yeah, beat that, I'm make sorry. sure we all yeah, wait Vice on it? Yeah, no, it was it was addressed. That we talked about mostly about prox proximity more than anything. Um, also, the density issue is one that I'd be reluctant at this time to put into the ordinance. Um, and I would prefer that the proximity be removed from the ordinance at this time, because um, even if you have a grandfather clause, it's going to add some level of um, task to to our current planning staff when they're having to review. Um, plans or, or new stores that are going to be put in as, as understanding and knowing what the proximity rules are. I just think at this point, it just seems uh, to make, it, you know, my goal to make this as clean as possible right now. And, you know, I strong uh, um, support for the TRL 21, clean air, um, but I sure would like to remove those other two as, at this time and, and get the other one working and then go from there. Commissioner Finkel, I'd also add that, you know, a good question you brought up earlier, Commissioner Lawson, is currently the 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 limit is proximity to youth-oriented facilities. We don't have a definition of that. We'd have to figure out what that meant. Before we could get the data, we'd have to decide what that meant. Does that mean parks? Does that mean schools? Does that mean, you know... I mean, it's a toy store. Does a that toy mean school, a laser tag location? Mm -hmm. uh, walking path you know what you know again these are all things that could be worked out when we got to the, you know if we wanted to pursue that but uh, you know again i i would say strike those provisions i mean i guess at the end of the day here we're going to direct staff to bring us back an ordinance and we're going to want staff to look at that ordinance and say you know also give their impressions of it when it comes back i i think the the simpler and the cleaner we can do, the quicker it can come back. And, you know, we add the T21, we add the retail licensing, we add the um, the vaping to the public use. I think all those are clean and pretty straightforward. Um, it's the, it's that enforcement piece and then the density and, and location ones, I think complicate this more than we need at this point. That's my, my thought. This is uh, Vice Mayor Larson, and, and as staff, uh, as we send this back to staff to, to write this ordinance up, I would also like for them to come back and let us know um, what sort of um, workload does this put on any of our staff, um, planning department, fire chief. What what would um, what would that entail, if anything at all? Thank you. This is Commissioner Sellers. Commissioner Larson, when you say additional work, what, what do you mean by that? Like yeah, as far just, as the, the, that the, for the drafting of the 
of the no. ordinance or as it relates to implementing any of the pieces of the ordinance? Yeah, Vice Mayor Larson. Yeah, it's, it's as far as implement, implementation of the or actual ordinance itself, not the drafting of it. Just want to know if it adds to our workload, any of our staff workload after the fact. This is Commissioner Sellers. Thank you for that clarification. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, I'm Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. Thank you for that question. Um, Commissioner Larson. So I think that this meeting has been really insightful. It has answered some questions that I have had about the draft ordinances. And I think you all have asked for some clarification that we were seeking as well. Um, even, even with that said, though, I think we would have to huddle internally with some other various departments, if, as you mentioned, to even get a timeline of what this looks like. Um, it is a, a bit of an undertaking to draft it, like you said, and then have this enforcement piece of it. And so what I might suggest at this time is that you allow us that opportunity to, to get together internally um, a few weeks worth, and then we could return to you um, around March 1st with an update on a recommendation of a timeline of what we're thinking of when we could return to the commission with this and see if if that sounds okay to you all. Um, and then while I have you, I did want to point out one additional item that has not been discussed, but that I noticed um, when we're talking about amending just Article 8 for now. On the definition section, it does revise the definition of smoking to include hookah. And that has not previously been discussed by the commission that is a larger point of discussion. We've had uh, business owners here in the city come to the commission previously in years past with um, concern for their businesses and requesting an opportunity to be heard if this ever does come up. So I, I wanted to point that out as a, another potential big topic if um, you are tasking staff to look at these um, proposed language changes as a whole. Mayor Shipley, I would have, I, I, and I think they had two different slides. Maybe they showed it twice, but um, not restricting things that are culturally sensitive, which I would have put that in that category. Perhaps I'm um, thinking of it a different way, but um, hookah certainly has a cultural significance that I'm disinclined to um, restrict at this moment. Commissioner Finkel, I would agree. I think that would be something, definitely, I'm glad we have brought that up and it'd be something we'd want to think about. In, uh, Vice Mayor Larson, that's, uh, yeah, maybe it needs to be specifically pointed out in the ordinance that that would be considered part of that cultural, spiritual. This is Commissioner Sellers. I, I, I'm glad everyone is, is bringing up pieces around definitions because words and definitions do matter. Um, and, it, and I'm glad that Maria brought it up. I'm familiar with what e hookahs are and this is not the time or place for it, but there is a difference between an e hookah and regular hookah, but I will lean on the content experts of our legal staff and in collaboration with our um, public health advocates to bring that back to us and be able to explain that. Mayor Shipley, I I, I want to be sure I circle, circle, circle back around to something that I've found a little confusing in reading this. And I, I you've uh, luckily, uh, Vice Mayor Larson and Commissioner Finkel, I have discussed it a little bit. 
It is a little unusual that we are um, creating policy that we're asking the county to administer and enforce. Can someone help me with that? Um, uh, it, yeah. <laughs> Commissioner Finkel, it's not the county, it's the health department, which okay. is a standalone entity jointly funded by the city and the county. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Now, so <laughs> but Maria might have a thought on that as well. I, I had a question about the legality of how we do that, the city license versus a health department license. But Thank you. Um, thank you for that question, Mayor. So I'm not prepared to offer an, a legal opinion on that particular question tonight. I, Like I said, um, the conversation has been insightful for me, and I understand now the enforcement arm that... Um, live well was bringing forward so what i can say is that is one big piece that will require some legal research on how we could delegate that power to an outside department or agency so i don't have an answer for you tonight it's something that we definitely need to look into um, and need some time to research and analyze mayor shipley any other discussion items or questions for each other uh, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Please, uh, Commissioner yeah. Littlejohn and uh, Maria, um, if you all need more time to go ahead and huddle and think about this, uh, please take that time as well. I'm just looking at our upcoming calendar and uh, we've, we've got a lot of stuff on the docket. So I don't I want to go ahead and give you the space to go ahead and do, a you know, as, as best a job as you can. So. Thank you, Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. We definitely appreciate that. We are thinking that in, in a few weeks, um, a month or so, whatever the commission directs us to do, we could come back with our timeline at that point, obviously not a finished package, but our ideas on what the next steps could be. And this is Commissioner Sellers. That would include draft language, correct, Maria? Could potentially include draft language, depending on the motion tonight. Yes, um, Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia, it, it really depends on the motion. We would respectfully ask for a little bit of time, um, especially if we're returning with a draft ordinance that you all would vote on. Um, so when I say a few weeks by March 1st, what I mean is really the timeline of what we think next steps are. And then um, that we would state on March 1st, we think an ordinance would be prepared by this date. We think, you know, this research will com be completed by this date. Um, but of course, if you direct us to something um, relatively minor in your view, you could um, suggest that date and, and we can see if it's workable. Um, previously, when this um, discussion happened in September of last year. Staff was very diligent to return to the commission within a few weeks with a vaping ordinance that did get deferred at the time, but the turnaround was was very quick in that, but it was also just adding vaping to that ordinance. So it can be done. It just depends on the direction tonight. This is Vice Mayor Larson. And I'll, my preference would be that you take the time to, Marie, that you take the time that, that you need to make sure this is drafted up correctly and coming back in a couple of weeks with a draft with the plan to do that. I'm I'm okay with that. Along with the timeline. Mayor Shipley, I want to make sure we've given you sufficient direction, um, Maria. Um sometimes we say a lot of words, but it's not clear what we so 
um, I want to make sure you have everything you you need from us uh, in terms of consensus for moving forward with a timeline or draft language. I um, personally would appreciate a recap of the specific direction that you all are asking staff to look at, um, to analyze and return with. Thank you for asking. Mayor Shipley, what I was hearing um, was um, a reticence about the um, proximity and density, um, but uh, uh, otherwise an agreement to consider that licensing. Does anyone disagree with that? But okay, all right. Uh, then, um, well, let's see, I don't know how to sum up some of Commissioner Finkeldye's concerns about the vaping um, in terms of... Um, Are you thinking of oh. oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the vaping uh, in terms of um, enforcement, if we add that, um, I'm not sure how to make that concise, um, but it sounds like it's a, a legal debate that's going to come up whether we want it to or not. Commissioner Finkel, I guess, you know, my thought is, again, um, I think Maria has already drafted language to add vaping, right? But we deferred it because it had that enforcement piece. You know, if we want, so I think the question is, do we just want to bring that ordinance back and pass it by just adding vaping and, you know, um, but I think they've now proposed some different things with those definitions that we need to look at. And so, um, and, and what, you know, um, one of those was the hook guy, you know, I think discussion and others. So, um, you know, I guess I think we, I don't know where everyone else stands if we want to look at the enforcement side of that, or do we want to leave it as it is and not even have them look at that? I guess that's the question for the rest of you. This is Vice Mayor Larson. I would like for them to look at that and let's get something that we're going to pass um, in addition to what they did, you know, last fall um, and just get this taken care of because I think there's enough support. Obviously, you know, it seems like you know, support for the TR21. So I would just like to get that in there and get it get it done. Commissioner Littlejohn, I would agree uh, as opposed to, you know, taking it halfway and then having to come back and like address it later. I'd, I'd rather go ahead and knock it all out. Mayor, if I may, at least on that piece, play, uh, sorry, that piece, just so I get clarity. So you, we are wanting the draft ordinance back related to the clean air ordinance, separate from the retail licensing piece. We want that to come back to include add vaping and the enforcement piece. You want recommendations from staff or I just wanna make sure I'm clear on what you're asking staff to break back related to the clean air ordinance piece. Uh, yeah, that's what I feel like I'm hearing um, from Commissioner Larson and, and Vice Mayor, I'm sorry, uh, Commissioner uh, Finkeldye. And then I feel like I heard um, Commissioner Littlejohn agree with that. So that's in, so we're asking for draft language on the CIA as it relates to Tobacco 21 so that we can look at it in context with the enforcement language minus the TRL. 
or in addition, or as well as with the language for the TRL? Because I was assuming we were doing the TRL as well. In addition. Because if not, that puts us back at where we were in September. Vice Mayor Larson, in addition to. Got it. So we're wanting staff to come back with a draft of the ordinance that includes the CIA with the Tobacco 21 language around vaping, in addition to the TRL that doesn't include anything about proximity and density. That also gives us some direction around defined terms as it relates to youth oriented and e-hookah, as well as a piece that will give us timeline as it relates to capacity to enforce this, enforce pieces to Commissioner Larson's point as it relates to any type of enforcement. If we're not doing proximity, then we don't need the definitions for what youth oriented. Um, is that correct? Yeah. So I don't want them to waste time on that if we okay. agree not to do that. Did we cover everything? Uh, Assistant City Attorney Mary Garcia, that is helpful. Thank you. And I just want to clarify that the commission is looking for one package from staff, not in piecemeal. We won't be returning with vaping here and then another discussion on another date. You prefer that we bring everything at one time. The date that we'll, we'll share the, that date with you in a few weeks. Is that correct? Okay, great. Thank you. Mayor Shipley, yes, I'm satisfied. I think we're satisfied with that. Thank you. Um, okay, you know what? Um, I would like to let, take a little break because we've been at this for a while and we're, we've got a, a the big show next. Um, so let's um, reconvene here at 7.30 if that's okay with everyone. We're ready, Mayor. I might wait a few more seconds to exactly 7.30. I don't want to violate any rules. <laughs> I got 7.30 on my clock. Okay, um, let's go ahead and uh, uh, resume our meeting. Um, I do wanna take roll. Vice Mayor Larson? Here. Uh, Commissioner Finkeldye? Here. Commissioner Littlejohn? Here. Commissioner Sellers? Present. Mayor Shipley here, um, we're all accounted for. Um, now let's move on to our work session um, and we will um, receive a presentation from the Director of Equity Inclusion. Good evening, Mayor and City Commissioner, the Ferris Muhammad Director of Equity and Inclusion. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and try to share my screen here. So, uh, Porter, please let me know if my uh, presentation is showing up properly here. Good. Properly. Looks good. Okay. Thanks, Porter. So, uh, again, good evening, uh, Mayor, City Commissioners. I'm Ferris Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion, and uh, I'll be providing you with a presentation tonight that is designed to be essentially uh, informative and kind of a recap of some of the projects and programs I've worked on during my first year here as sort of the inaugural Director of Equity and Inclusion for the City of Lawrence. 
And in the interest of time, this presentation will be sort of a high level overview of the year. Um, also, there'll be, there was a few last minute changes for, on this presentation and the one I sent to you all. So I apologize for that. But if you have any questions on any slides that you may not see here or that change here, please let me know. And I'll address whatever question you have regarding that. So recently I was um, interviewed by the Lawrence Journal World uh, and I spoke about my experiences engaging and connecting with community members here. And uh, this interview provoked a lot of curiosity. So tonight uh, I wanna elaborate farther on some of the topics like the concerns uh, from racially marginalized groups throughout the city of Lawrence. And just as a sort of a structure, um, I'm gonna kind of cover some of these key areas here as far as projects and programs, um, try to help provide some better insight And so uh, building an equity and inclusion office uh, in some ways is analogous to the uh, popular quote we see here on the screen uh, requires some understanding from all that uh, this is a new position, this is a new office, and there's uh, excitement around this sort of equity milestone. And as such, I have found it important to, as far as my approach goes, uh, to connect with and build relationships provide consultation and guidance to uh, some of the various departments within our organization, uh, various divisions, advisory boards, uh, some of the strategic plan outcome teams, some of the strategic plan commitment teams, external agencies and partners, uh, various COVID-19 response teams, et cetera. And just so um, sort of my approach to the work, I'm just gonna cover this briefly as well. So. Uh, as it relates to advancing equity and inclusion in an organization and community, I use what's called the uh, SOTI model, which is sort of centers humility, as opposed to being like a savior or a hero complex. Uh, it encourages one to sort of learn first and connect with people, learn from people and build those authentic relationships. So I prefer to sort of pace myself and sort of see this work here as a, an equity marathon. And so in addition to the previous slide, um, on my approach to equity and inclusion work, I try to keep quotes like this in mind, uh, how it centers on equity regarding access, opportunities, and resources. Uh, this helps me to sort of remember uh, to look at things at a systemic and structural level when focus on, focusing on uh, equitable access. And I'll just read the quote here just for uh, listening viewers. Um, say, we are not all in the same boat. We are in the same storm. Some have yachts, some have canoes, and some are drowning. Uh, just be kind and help whoever you can. And so building on addressing equity and inclusion at the systemic and structural level, I believe the city's mission and vision strategic plan is uh, pretty much designed to accomplish just that. So being intentional about centering equity and inclusion um, as such, I like this illustration that you see before you as it sort of eliminates um, how that even when you provide sometimes uh, resources equitably, um, structures still need to be addressed. Um, so as you can see from the illustration here related to the fruit tree, um, how it advantages some based on the resource that it's able to provide related to the fruit here, um, but how the tree may bend a certain way to kind of uh, aid other people more so than someone else. Um, so structures still have to be addressed and we got to continuously focus on that systemic process. Um, so 
uh, as relates to sort of a collective impact uh, approach to advancing equity. I've been making many uh, community and organizational connections uh, to get a more accurate and sort of honest view of our city organization and our community um, using a collective impact framework with the understanding that advancing equity is the responsibility of us all, uh, not just an equity director or not just a city or not just various advocacy groups. Uh, so I've been exploring ways we can foster uh, better synergy um, throughout our organization and community at large. Um, one way we're seeing this happen internally is with our various outcome teams and our various commitment teams uh, working across departments to address equity and uh, many other uh, progress indicators. And then you can see just a, a, a brief list here on this slide as far as what I consider to be equity partners. These are many of the organizations I've been able to partner with. Many have reached out or provided different trainings or workshops or guidance to try to figure out how to advance equity, how to better partner so that we can move as a collective as it relates to uh, impact and equity for all throughout our community. And to that point, I'm just going to kind of go through the next few slides of things that are part of our organization I've worked with. So, for an example, uh, you have American Red Cross here. Um, I was able to connect with them uh, sometime early last year to kind of uh, try to help them and provide some guidance on how they can better diversify their board of directors. So I was able to meet with the executive director and some of their board members and provide some um, guidance. They put that guidance to practice and kind of send me a follow-up uh, note to kind of say uh, in their last recruitment uh, or wave of recruitment, uh, three out of the four people represented a very diverse perspective that they appreciate and looking forward to uh, helping see their organization continuously make progress in this regard. Similarly, working uh, and partnering with the health department on various projects such as their anti-poverty reduction plan as well as their community health plan and a lot of uh, COVID-19 related projects as well. Um, as far as some of our community organization or advocacy groups, I've been able to connect and build relationships with NAACP, excuse me there. Wait, here we go. Okay, there we go, back at it. A little fast on the trigger there. Um, so with the NAACP, been able to connect with them and have different meetings and talk about some of the things that they've been involved in and how they want to better partner with the city. Uh, I know some of you all were at the uh, event uh, Saturday behind City Hall. That was the soil collection related to the memorial of the lynching. Um, the NAACP, NAACP president at that event sort of spoke about her, how she appreciated the partnership with the city and looking forward to continuously strengthening that partnership. So I think that's phenomenal as we all continuously try to focus on how we continue to center equity. Um, on this slide here, I've been privileged to be on the team of uh, the equity impact advisors who uh, are responding to COVID and trying to figure out creative ways and intentional ways to center equity in our approach um, as it relates to the unified commander. The impact advisor has been a branch of the unified command structure that's set up here in Douglas County. Um, so I was able to win the award last year for some of the work that has happened. Um, and some of the things that we've been able to do is be very intentional about reaching some of the uh, reaching out to some of the hard to reach populations, uh, which includes connecting with some of the leadership um, in the indigenous community and making sure that um, they're able to spread that out to some of the various churches as far as some of the, uh, at that time, some of the test kits, uh, take home test kits, some uh, different masks or different um, 
hand sanitizers, et cetera. Similarly, reaching out to NAACP to make sure they have some of those resources as well. Uh, Islamic Center of Lawrence. So lots of different hard to reach populations was able to also partner with the city um, and have sort of a BIPOC uh, clinic at Holcomb Park. BIPOC meaning black, indigenous peoples of color, indigenous peoples and peoples of color. Um, also had some Spanish speaking clinics and many of us also that you see on the screen before you were able to volunteer many times on uh, various Saturdays to make sure we were able to give out those resources and keep all members throughout our community safe as well as their family safe. Uh, again, this was a presentation I was able to provide uh, as far as a workshop with uh, Just Foods, a nonprofit organization in our community is doing a lot of great work to make sure that people have uh, access to food uh, based on food insecurities and things of that nature. Uh, in the post here, uh, it was spoken about um, the needed, uh, how it's needed to have some difficult dialogue and uh, you know complicated conversations around some very important things such as race and equity, inclusion. And so to that point, uh, some of the things I spoke about here during a workshop was kind of how we have to kind of get more into the rhythm of sort of normalizing difficult conversations so that we can see more progress happen. And so before you on the screen here, um, this is uh, from GARE, which is Government Alliance on Race and Equity. And so part of their approach to kind of helping to advance racial equity work inside local government focuses on this three-pronged approach, uh, normalizing, organizing and operationalizing. Um, so these are many of the conversations we also have been having internally um, with various staff. So I've been able to be intentional about having conversations with some of the uh, women in leadership roles within our organization. Uh, some of our staff who may identify as LGBTQ, um, uh, employees of darker skin color, just kind of talk about and address concerns surrounding um, you know, psychological safety or how the workplace can be a better place of belonging for them to make sure they are um, having optimal outputs as far as their work goes. And so um, also I was able to work with the uh, city's attorney's office to help with several human relation commissioners to be able to actually attend the GEAR conference last year um, as they continue to advance work as it relates to the city's strategic plan. Lots of great feedback from not just a commissioners on the Human Relations Commission, but also for many different um, employees and members of management team to kind of talk about um, the things they were able to learn attending the GARA conference. And so I'm looking forward to many people being able to attend a conference this year as well and continue that, that energy surrounding equity. And um, I'm currently here, of course, you all are familiar with the strategic plan and the different outcome areas and commitment areas. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of the different outcome teams and commitment area, uh, as you see here with the uh, red asterisk, uh, also serving as the champion for the equity and inclusion commitment team. Um, so I've helped play a small role in sort of the co-construction of many of the uh, progress indicators and strategies, been able to work with some of the great teams that's established and serving on these different outcome teams and commitment teams. Here just before you is the equity and inclusion commitment statement. Um, I'll just skip over this. I know everyone's pretty familiar with this in our strategic plan, but uh, here on your next slide, this is some of our progress in indicators uh, that sort of addresses equity and inclusion, how we go about measuring that and how we're collecting baseline data to make sure we can create those target goals. Um, so these are several of them from our 
unmistakable identity and strong welcome in neighborhoods, outcome areas. Um, as I previously mentioned, um, I've worked with the various teams here, uh, outcome teams and um, commitment teams to sort of help co-construct uh, some of the equity progress indicators. Um, also, in addition to that, being able to reach out to different um, organizations and different marginalized groups like the NAACP, uh, Juneteenth committees, Hispanic community members, Indigenous members throughout our community to kind of get a better representation of how they are rating our community, how they see our community, what kind of festivals or parades and things of that nature do they feel are being celebrated throughout our community and how we can do more work in that regard. So having lots of conversations about that, which kinds of ties into the uh, one of the first slides you all saw as far as uh, my comments in the Lawrence Journal World. Same thing here with some of the progress indicators. Um, I've been able to work with our economic development director, Britt, uh, the Chamber of Commerce, the economic or EDC, and other people to kind of be able to identify what are some of the minority or women-owned businesses throughout our organization. I've been able to send out lists of some of the uh, small black-owned businesses and um, some of the retail grocery stores or ethnic retail grocery stores throughout our community, figuring out as a city how we can do more work to support that trying to have a better understanding of some of the grant dollars that's circulating throughout our community and how we can all be more intentional about ensuring that no one's sort of left out. Um, so lots of work doing that as far as uh, how they contribute to our strategic plan and our uh, equity and inclusion progress indicators. And so just uh, some additional projects I've been working on um, and focus on as far as benchmarking against other comparable size cities, um, as well as speaking on um, speaking on or speaking through different national and international platforms to allow for some constructive criticism and feedback on how our city is doing related to our strategic plan um, and equity work that we're embarked, embarking upon. Um, so I'll just walk through a few examples throughout the next few slides of uh, what that looks like. Um, so last year I had an interview with uh, the Government Finance Review. Um, magazine. They're an award-winning magazine out of Chicago that is owned by the uh, Government Finance Officers Association with approximately 19,000 state and local government officers involved. Um, in this article here, I was able to discuss the importance of uh, budgeting with an equity lens. I was also able to share out some of the work uh, we are doing, working with Danielle Bushcutter in the finance department on several finance and budget teams to make sure we're centering equity in our budget process. Um, here, right here, as far as uh, Route 50, uh, they're based out of Washington, D.C., and they focus on connecting state and local government leaders. Um, I served on a panel uh, a few months ago in September. Um, not only was I able to share out how um, my department is partnering with our human resource department to brainstorm on how to be more innovative, as it relates to diversifying our workforce in a very measurable way. I was able to share this free resource with uh, our workforce, our staff and employees, so they can be able to benefit and um, see what some other people are doing as it relates to recruitment. Um, so Quentin is out of uh, Baltimore, and I believe uh, Jennifer is out of uh, Colorado, Colorado County. Um, so they were able to kind of discuss some of the things that they're doing and kind of mirror what we're doing. And we were able to have lots of robust conversation about different strategies we can try to implement to make sure that we're being intentional about how we go about our recruiting. Uh, 
Um, this just came out a few weeks ago. Again, this was in another article uh, out of Route 50 a magazine just a couple weeks ago. Um, again, we were sought out based on our work and how we're using data to address equity issues. Um, so from our strategic plan to the great work um, that Porter and his team, as far as the communication department is doing on our uh, community satisfaction survey, as it relates to making sure we're being intentional about oversampling um, our marginalized communities to ensure that all voices are being heard when we collect our data and implement these things into our strategic plan to make sure that we are meeting our target goals. Um, and you can see here, I think I have uh, just underlined in this slide right here, how data allows us to better understand how the city and the community at large can contribute to a sense of belonging for residents and employees. Um, and at the bottom here part where you see uh, the other line, underline, uh, where it speaks about Lawrence, Kansas, for an example, established a scorecard to track a number of performance indicators, including those that have an equity component. So uh, to me, in large part, is about not just showing in a braggadocious kind of a way the work that we're doing here in the city of Lawrence, but making ourselves vulnerable enough to open ourselves up to uh, constructive criticism so people can provide an, uh, better feedback for us to say, okay, it's great that you all are doing these things. Have you thought of these things? So we can make sure that we're staying sharp and as, as sharp as far as how we're uh, advancing equity. Um, so here, uh, engaging local government leaders, they're based out of uh, Portland, Oregon. They are in all 50 states, Canada, the UK, Israel, Australia. I was uh, very privileged, very privileged to be on the panel with this young lady you see uh, <laughs> here on this screen here. Uh, we were able to share out the work that we're doing here in Lawrence and throughout Douglas County uh, with the Unified Command, uh, various uh, the equity impact advisors, and internally with our uh, incident command team. Um, so I thought this was a, a great podcast as well related to how we are promoting equity uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I just put this slide up here. This is, uh, again, this is uh, through the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. They have lots of different portals for different departments, so like HR and finance. So you can go and engage or parks and recreation. You can go and engage and figure out how other organizations throughout the nation are addressing equity in their various respective departments. So someone had a question about um, how to better infuse equity and inclusion in their strategic plan. That's what the question was on the first slide to the top on the left side. And the slide to the, or the picture on the right side at the top, I was just sharing what we're doing as far as, and I know it's kind of blurry and grainy, so you might not be able to see it that well. Um, nevertheless, I was able to share um, what we're doing here in Lawrence. And you can see in this bottom picture, uh, maybe you can see it, where it had like 72 views and 27 downloads. Um, and so I just thought that was uh, presumably, presumably uh, this is from different um, agencies or organizations as far as the 27 downloads. So the fact that people are interested to see how the city of Lawrence is infusing equity and inclusion in our strategic plan, I thought was uh, great. And also it allowed for me to have additional conversation with people from across the country who's either renewing their strategic plan or rolling out their strategic plan for the first time and want to make sure that they're focusing on equity. Here, this is uh, just a snapshot of part of the racial equity toolkit that um, uh, GARE, Government Alliance on Race and Equity, often utilizes and, and provide trainings and conferences on. Um, so this right here um, is what I plan to use to continue to make sure that more departments, divisions, uh, various advisory boards are becoming more and more familiar with this and being able to utilize this in a way um, to make some very important policy decision and be able to make uh, 
create best practices as far as the practices that the various uh, boards and commissions are engaging in. Uh, similarly here, as far as the racial equity impact assessment guide, just like the racial equity toolkit you saw on a previous slide, just wanna make sure that more and more people are familiar with this and being able to kind of put this to practice. So I plan to continuously work with different advisory boards, departments, divisions, community organizations to figure out how they can use some of these tools to kind of start to put to practice um, center and equity in their, in their decision-making. And so as kind of mentioned before, as far as the framework of this presentation, just kind of a year in review, you see this word cloud here. Um, overall, when I just sort of reflect on the last year, um, of course, there's lots of uh, sort of mixed emotions and cloudy memories and lots of tough conversations that have happened over the last year or so. Uh, I don't think any of us can really say that the last year has remotely been easy for any of us, right? Um, I, and despite all the things that I've been able to personally uh, personally and professionally accomplish over the last year, uh, I recognize how tough this last year has been for folks. And um, to that point, or as it relates to people being sort of just um, burnt out, fatigue, uh, people experiencing various forms of racial fatigue, uh, so on and so forth, just hearing the despair and the sort of hopelessness in some people based on this pandemic and how that's impacted them personally as well as professionally uh, has really complicated the work to some degree. Um, and to that point, um, I do want to uh, publicly commend the city manager and the assistant city manager, uh, Shelby, who's our risk assessment for some of the work they've really been doing as far as advocating for uh, mental health and the well-being of people and making sure they're doing all that they can to make sure they're keeping our workforce safe as well as our community and their families. So I think that's uh, very important. It's something that really stand out to me when I reflect over the last year, most importantly. Um, and so as you think about how people have seen things over the last year, I just often think about these two uh, illustrations here that I've used in various trainings. Uh, we, you know, have, we often see equity work and equity differently. Um, we look through different cultural lenses and sometimes we maybe see things, but see things differently based on the angle or our positionality or how we're situated in the, uh, how we're situated. Um, so I just thought this was a uh, worthwhile sharing and thinking in terms of you see from the illustration to the right uh, with a rhino with a horn before his face that every time he create a picture, you know, the horn is in front of his face showing this is the way I see the world. And so many of us, when we think about all the different agencies, organizations, people we come in contact with and deal with, it's important that you maintain a certain level of cultural humility to understand people see the world differently. So maybe some people don't arrive at a decision or want to embrace something as quickly as we would like, but that's part of the process and that's part of the heavy lifting as it relates to some of this equity work. Um, and so with that being said, this is many of you all may be familiar with uh, the iceberg model of culture. Sometimes when we see people, there are some visible things that are easily able, we're easily able to see. Um, but there's lots of things that kind of go into why we behave the way in which we do, what makes us make certain types of decisions. And a lot of those things are very much embedded in our culture, our upbringing, the environments in which we grew up in. So I think when engaging with different people from different walks of life, it's important that we keep this in mind and have grace and patience with people and try to be as understanding as we possibly can as it relates to things such as cultural humility. Um, this right here, I've kind of helped you to use some of this work in some uh, previous trainings I've done before. This is the intercultural development inventory, sometimes referred to as the IDI, but kind of looks and see the way people respond to the different things. 
And um, I didn't plan to spend a lot of time on here, but I can respond on this farther if anyone have any questions related to it. Um, but I think it's relevant to some of the previous slides as well as some of the uh, upcoming slides. Um, so here it relates to an equity action plan. Um, the picture you see on the left here is a snapshot of the city of Springfield, Illinois. Uh, this is a snapshot of their workforce that came out of their affirmative action plan. Again, it may be very small, so you may not be able to see it, but um, just to kind of explain it a little bit, this is all the different departments and divisions within the city of Springfield, Illinois. And in there, they have a breakout of the race and demographics and gender of who makes up those various departments. And so I've been able to have some conversations with the city attorney's office, uh, human resource department, city manager's office. And we all been able to meet and explore how we can move forward with uh, developing a more up-to-date affirmative action plan or equity action plan to make sure that we have that baseline data and snapshot of our workforce so we can see sort of who's being uh, recruited, who's being retained, who's being promoted, uh, what kind of trends are we seeing, and this is something that we can make sure we're measuring on an annual basis. Um, so I think that you all know that this work right here and conversations are happening around this as well. And so next steps, uh, future goals and top priorities. Um, I'll speak about some of those things coming up here. Um, so the picture that, well, since I learned of this African proverb that you see on the left here, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, this was something I had mentioned in my interview. Uh, when I was interviewing for this position, I kind of explained this as sort of my approach as far as collaboration as it relates to advancing equity. It's not a one-person job and it can't be a one-person job. So um, giving yourself the time to pace yourself and really have honest conversations with people. I know internally uh, within the organization, we have conversations to try to explore what does community engagement really mean? How do you go about engaging a community? Um, what does that mean if someone don't want to talk to you, right? Uh, did you engage them? Did you not engage them? How long does it take to officially and effectively engage someone? So it's a, it's a process and uh, you got to make space and room for people having distrust of government based on cultural background or previous experiences. So for me, it's about making sure that I continuously move at a certain pace um, display patience all while sort of making progress. And I uh, plan to contribute or continue to engage others and encourage other people to have uh, sort of patience with people and make sure we're just playing that grace as it relates to trying to get people to understand the why. And so uh, for me, I'll continue to work on uh, developing sort of a roadmap to equity while helping others understand equity as more of a, more of a process than a product. Um, sort of consistency over intensity, uh, which goes back to um, our equity and inclusion commitment statement, which focuses more so on the how, like how are we infusing equity in all the work that we're doing, as opposed to the uh, what, or more so our outcome areas. Um, so this requires the engagement of all to make sure that the city of Lawrence is an equitable place of choice for all as a city organization to work for and as a community to live and play and retire and all those beautiful things. Um, and so to help us along the roadmap, I'm um, also happy to announce that we've been able to uh, hire an organizational equity coordinator, uh, Ms. Kalina Coleman. Um, and she got over 10 years, 12 years or so in uh, government experience. She's worked for the state. She's worked for 
Johnson County. She worked for Wyandotte County. So uh, yesterday was her first day here on the job. And so we're already working on various projects that she's working on, helping to create uh, more visibility of the department. And so one of the key things or some of the key things I really plan to work on besides what you see listed here is mostly visibility and accessibility, how to help the department become more visible and how to help people become, how to become more accessible to uh, employees, different departments, divisions, as well as the general public. And so we plan to make sure I had conversation with Porter and the communication team about building out the website and making sure that we have a menu of tools and resources and things like that, that can be easily accessible for other departments and divisions and uh, community members at large. And so that's the brief uh, high level overview of some of the things that has uh, transpired over the last year as far as projects and programs that I've been able to work on and be involved with. And so um, with that, I'd be happy to entertain any questions anyone may have. Mayor Shipley, thank you so much. Um, that's um, incredible work. Um, uh, I have a question, but I want to make sure other uh, commissioners don't have anything. Um, anybody? I, I have one. Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn, um, and I'll try to be brief. I, I noticed that you were on a uh, bunch of panels over the, the past year, and that's awesome uh, that, uh, you know, it's your expertise is being mined that way, and we're able to go ahead and spread that word. Um, I was just wondering, I was just curious, so what uh, what thing did you learn on those panels that you thought, uh, just just one example that, you know, would be applicable back here, you know, it was a good idea that you thought, oh, maybe we should think about doing that here. Ferris uh, Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion, uh, a few things I've learned is, uh, one, the sort of investments that uh, more and more cities are making within their departments of equity and inclusion. Um, the other thing to the point I've been speaking about throughout this presentation is really pace and patience. Um, many other cities, especially on the West Coast, have had equity and inclusion departments or some variation of that for decades. Um, so when I think about some of the work that we have intensely engaged in, um, I'm very optimistic about what that looks like for the city of Lawrence. So I think serving on many of these different panels and um, have gave me, made me more and more optimistic about some of the work that's happening here in the city of Lawrence and what the future looks like here. Mayor Shipley, anyone else? This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, I, I had a question in regards to um, just our, our use of data. I know you talked a little bit about um, oversampling, um, and you know, especially communities that are typically um, we don't really have a representative sample of their voices uh, when it comes to decision making. So, um, just in regards to the data that we capture on the city level, can you walk me through what you've seen with that? You know, do you feel like how we collect data is pretty robust. I know at the GARE conference last year, there were several um, several presentations on utilizing city data, you know, city GIS data to to guide discussions and and, and you know to, to use that using that data. So are we do we have robust data in that? How are we using it? Do you feel like we're at a place where we can really use that to to make some 
outcome inferences around things or, or what? So just tell me about what you know about the data that we're collecting here in this with, with the city. Uh, Ferris Muhammad, Director of Equity and Inclusion. I, I will attempt to kind of answer your question as best as possible, but I know there's some other department um, uh, directors on the line that I can probably speak specifically to their department. So as it relates to what I've seen as far as um, data collection, I think in some areas we're kind of early on in that process. Um, as it relates to the GIS, I have been able to meet with our IT department and kind of become better familiarized with our GIS tracking and our, um, I think we have a subscription to a company that looks at ESRI, uh, which allows for sort of that heat map and trying to figure out who out through what community and how to uh, infuse racial equity in that process. Um, that's the extent of my knowledge on that. I can't speak too intelligently about that. Um, I think as it relates to sort of our community um, satisfaction survey, trying to compare year to year, um, I think we're making a lot of progress there. As I mentioned earlier about the oversampling of uh, racial minorities and hard to reach communities or marginalized communities um, being very intentional in that regard. But again, I think uh, with some of this, I think we're still early on in the process. And I think more and more departments are trying to find better ways to uh, center equity, whether it's in our finance department or our human resource department, et cetera. Mrs. Yeah. Commissioner Sellers, one more quick question in regards to you spent a little bit of time on the HR analytics piece, and I know that um, the HR piece around this work, I know you've been um, working with our department with that. Have you had opportunities to at least speak to that or at least have some collaborative conversations with um, any counterparts um, at one of our biggest employers here, University of Kansas. So have you had discussions with any of just in regards to just DEI work, anything around what you're trying, what, what you've been having those initial conversations with individuals uh, in the community? Ferris Muhammad, Director of Equity and Inclusion. Uh, I, I want to make sure I understand your question properly, uh, Commissioner Sellers. Are you saying have I been able to have conversation with other DEI practitioners and how they're collecting data or just kind of what's the work they're engaged in as DEI sort of practitioners? A little bit about, well, both, if you can answer to both, just some of the work that they're doing and, and it, has there been opportunities to ex at least start expanding collaboration and communication around co data yes. collection and things of that nature? Yes, uh, Ferris Muhammad, Director of Equity and Inclusion. Um, yeah, so I've been able to speak with a couple of different people throughout our community and some of the uh, other anchor institutions in our organization. Um, of course, the uh, health department have various people or have various people with the title equity um, or the term equity in their title. Um, so, of course, a lot of those folks are currently serving or have served on the uh, equity impact advisor um, committee, which I kind of displayed earlier. So we often have different conversations. Uh, as well as folks like Dr. Danika Moore over at the school district. Um, her and I have been able to have lots of different conversations about how to kind of infuse equity in our work, some of the um, barriers that we may come across in our work, uh, as well as at the University of Kansas. I've had conversations with several of their departments uh, from their international students department to talk about some of the impacts that COVID has had on uh, the, the attraction of international students to the United States and to the uh, University of Kansas, in addition to some other sort of um, externalities and uh, political climate and some of those types of things. Um, so yes, I've been able to connect with several departments, including their diversity department over at the University of Kansas. Um, 
so yeah, I've been able to meet with lots of different uh, sort of equity practitioners throughout our community and try to get some sense of some of the work things that they're working on and how we can better collaborate. Yes, Commissioner Sellers, but though so, but it's not to be assumed that individuals that have equity or at least speak to that in their their work experience, they're part of that um, equity impact advisors. So like there's not representation from different areas. So like there's not a university representative as an as part of the equity impact advisors. Paris uh, Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion, uh, not from the University of Kansas who represents uh, or is a representative of the uh, equity impact advisors. Okay. Um, we have been able to meet with some folks uh, over at the uh, University of Kansas. I can't think of a uh, person name who serves on the United uh, Unified Command, um, who's like their um, emergency response person at University of Kansas, who have helped to sort of center some things related to equity and have pushed for it. And I've been able to meet with them and um, several of their different departments, uh, what is it, the nursing department and other things to figure out how we can be intentional related to testing and things like that at the University of Kansas campus, if that helps at all. This is Commissioner Sars. I was just trying to get a, a better under, understanding of the advisors if that was more internally as kind of like a city county relationship or did it expand out to different fields represented within the community as a whole. So that's I'm just trying to get the makeup of the of the equity impact advisors. Like, do they represent different fields of that are that are here within our community? So, Ferris Mohammed, Director of Equity and Inclusion. No, thanks. Appreciate the clarity there. I think I have a better understanding of your question at this point. Um, so, as far as the makeup of the uh, equity impact advisors who serve as a branch of the Unified Command, uh, as far as representation go uh, from different uh, agencies throughout our community, uh, the city is represented on the Equity Impact Advisor uh, Task Force. Uh, the county has been represented, the health department has been represented, uh, one of the hospitals uh, represented, the school district. Um, I think a few more that I'm not thinking of, can't think of offhand right now. It's commissioner, it's okay. So it has that relationship with the Unified Command. Correct. That, that helps me. Yes, that, that helps a lot better. So thank you. Uh, Mayor Shipley, so my question is about the outcomes and the progress indicators. You had a couple slides about that. Um, and, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had our first book report on um, strong and welcoming neighborhoods. And we kind of discovered already after really only a year that um, some of those needed tweaking or maybe weren't showing us what we thought they were going to show us. Um, and my recollection was you just had walked in the door when we were trying to polish this thing up and, and we sort of showed it to you on the fly. Hey, do you have a professional opinion about this? Now that you've lived with it for a little while, do you think there's some things here that um, we could tweak that would show us um, better information or direct us in a more accurate way towards what we think we want? Uh, Paris Muhammad, Director of Equity and Inclusion. Uh, thanks for the uh, question, Mayor Shipley. Uh, my thought process surrounding the progress and the equity and inclusion progress indicators within our strategic plan is I, I think this is relatively new for the city of Lawrence. I think so it's a great starting spot. I think it's important that we find somewhere to start as I kind of mentioned about the sort of consistency over intensity 
I think starting somewhere to be able to collect a lot of baseline data and then seeing how, what kind of progress we're actually making over a period of time and then try to see if that's still meeting the needs of the community and our organization, if these are still important progress indicators, and if somehow a climate change related to equity that we think we need to kind of refocus that in several years to come, I think that's great. But I think as of now, some of the uh, metrics that we have in place and that we are tracking are great places to start. So we can get at least into that habit and get into that process of this is how we look at equity, this is how we track it, this is how we measure it, and this is how we adjust and, and, and develop new strategies surrounding equity plans. Commissioner Finkeldy, um, thanks for all that presentation. Thanks for all you're doing. I certainly learned a lot there. And to the extent you can answer this question, is you're, you're talking about pace, you know, and, and even in your interview, you talked about, you know, the pace of change. And just curious, um, obviously a part of the pace you can set, not the only, not the only factor, but part of the pace would relate to kind of receptivity of what you know what you're trying to accomplish and I was just curious um, both internally at the city and then city employees and then internally I mean then as it compares to the entire city um, you know have you been able to set the pace you kind of thought you would or have you had more resistance or less resistance or how has that played out as you've now been here for about a year Paris Mohammed director of equity and inclusion uh, Thanks for the question, uh, Commissioner Finkeldy. As far as pace go um, and receptivity, uh, I can honestly say, uh, as far as our workforce, our leadership team, our employees, our staff have been very, very receptive uh, to me and some of the work I've been trying to do, as well as the community at large, truthfully speaking. Um, however, that has uh, that, that has its sort of consequences, right? Uh, the more receptive people are, the more people want to meet and ask questions which I think is great. It just required more time for me to meet. And again, we talk about building relationships with people. It's sometimes hard to schedule uh, a 30 minute meeting or hour meeting because everybody don't operate with those kind of structure timelines, right? So our meetings can easily turn into an hour 30 meeting um, because people are excited. They want to have a certain conversation. In addition to it, I benefit from it because people are able to provide me with some of their uh, historical account of the city of Lawrence or how long they've been here. Uh, what they recall and what has changed, what has not changed. So people have been very receptive. Um, and as such, people want to meet more and share more and figure out how they can be helpful, which again is great, which is why I'm very excited that again, I've been able to hire a new person as far as our organizational equity coordinator. So when you think in terms of division of labor and being able to delegate and connect and put some projects in play based on having some additional capacity, uh, I'm looking forward to next year based on that. This is Commissioner Sellers. I'm going to take a point of personal privilege to say that, you know, I, I've had the honor to, to work with Dr. Muhammad through the Human Relations Commission. And there, I think there were some points there where I didn't know if I was asking too much of him. And, and but I do appreciate um, him sticking with, uh, with that commission and really challenging us to put into practice the strategic plan. And that was something that as a liaison the, that he provided that guidance uh, to the commission and to me as a chair. And so uh, he's definitely been a champion um, for that um, as it relates to boards and commissions. And so that, that, has, that has been uh, 
it's, it's been refreshing to see um, that work from the past, you know, this past year, just the engaging and, and, the, and to the listening um, and hearing from our community internally uh, as city staff and especially externally um, writ large and have him put that in, into a presentation to share with us to, tonight. So I do appreciate that. And you know, he's always been someone I, I, I bend his ear. So, uh, but I do appreciate him uh, being able to share this presentation with us tonight and be able to share his expertise with our community. So thank you. Mayor Shibley, any other thoughts or questions, comments? Yeah, this is Mice Mayor Larson. I just want to thank Ferris for the work he's doing um, and um, the times I've had to a few times regarding some issues and and I just appreciate what he's bringing to Lawrence and his fresh look on how we work with equity and make of our community. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I do think this is a uh, item we can get public comment on. Um, Sherry, is there anyone there in the audience that wants to comment? Uh, no, Mayor. I do see someone here online, Sherry. Chris Flowers? Hi, this is um, Chris Flowers. I don't really have anything prepared, but I was just wondering, um, Will the Director of Equity or possibly the Human Resources Commission be looking at um, how we are considering considering restructuring our local government? Because just I've been thinking about this lately with the Republicans trying to gerrymander our state and also passing this, trying to pass stuff to make it harder to vote through like absentee ballots and stuff. Um, if, if we go ahead with some of the stuff that's being proposed and we break up our, our city into six districts of, of about 16,000 each, I was just doing the math. And if 5,000 live in student, in student housing, and we don't want to break that up, that's going to be 5,000 people at least that will be gone during a, uh, a primary election because the the dorms are going to be closed. So I was wondering if the director of equity will be looking at that at all because the thing is um, our our city government task force said that bypassing the primary election and just doing a ranked choice um, election in the general. I think it said it was a, pro a possibility. And by doing that, you could bypass an election where like at least a third of a district is gonna be gone. And the city task force didn't recommend going ahead with looking at ranked choice at this time. But at the same time, I think that's kind of screwing over the people that live in dorms that like people who are out of town when the primary election happens. I think we're kind of getting screwed, you know, if if we don't look at ranked choice and go ahead with with this. And also, I just think that we need someone else to look at it because I'm not sure some of you commissioners want the students voting. Like you, you all just want to 
tonight you're trying to take away their their rights to to cigarettes are they going to vote for you i mean if 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 college students really voted at the like at the rate that they live here some of you would not get elected are you actually going to be voting for what's best for the city or what's best for yourselves? So I would like the director of equity or human resources or someone other than just the city commissions, commissioners who, who do stand to benefit from this, this stuff because you can make it easier or harder to get elected. So I'm just wondering if, if any of this stuff's gonna be looked at by the director of equity or the human resource commission. Thank you. Mayor Shipley, any other public comments? Not seeing anything. Um, okay. Um, I don't know that we had any particular direction we needed to give this evening, um, but I'm certainly really grateful to see um, all the work that you've done and am still very grateful that you're here. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, next is commission items. Do any commissioners have items to bring up this week? Well, not seeing anything. Um, in that case, um, let's go to city manager's report. I'm not sure who's, oh, there he is. <laughs> uh, good evening, uh, city manager Craig Owens. Um, there are a couple reports on there, particularly I draw your attention to the financial report and uh, sales tax uh, report, but um, really pretty standard reports this week and happy to answer any questions. Uh, before I ask for more questions, I did want to see, I do see Casey there. Casey, would you like to introduce? Yes, thank you, Mayor Shipley. Casey Toomey, Assistant City Manager, and I did want to take an opportunity to introduce you all to Megan Dodge, who started, I think, two weeks ago, maybe, or maybe just a week ago, um, as our new Director of Human Resources. So um, Megan is coming to us from the state of Kansas, where she was serving as the Operations Deputy Secretary for the Department of Children and Families. And prior to that has some local government experience. So I'll let Megan take a minute just to say hello and introduce herself if there's anything else she wants to add. We're so excited to have her here and really looking forward to what she's gonna bring to our team. Thank you, Casey. And thank you, Mayor and, and Commissioners. Um, yeah, like Casey said, I, I come directly from the state of Kansas at Department for Children and Families. I oversaw a few of the operations like administrative divisions, including the human resources function. And we did a lot of work on training and um, culture work. So I'm really excited to bring some of that experience to the city of Lawrence. Um, I also have worked with the city of San Antonio for several years in various functions. Um, but I am a native Kansan, grew up in the Kansas City area and went to KU, got my MPA at KU as well. So um, I am really, really just excited. It, this is my second week and um, it's going fast already, but I'm just excited to be here and really be a champion for culture work um, in support of the strategic plan. 
really doing a lot of work within our HR team, but then throughout the organization um, for engaged and empowered um, city employees to help advance that strategic plan. So thanks for the opportunity to be introduced and I'm sure I'll be working with you all soon. Thanks. Um, great, so nice to meet you. Thank you for coming. Um, uh, this is a uh, item which can take public comment on. Is there any public comment on the city manager's report? Oh, God, I'm not hearing anything. Um, then let's move on to calendar items. Any items we need to bring up or make sure are correct on our calendar? Not seeing anything. Um, um, we have deferred our executive session um, till next week, um, which then brings us to adjournment. Does anyone have any feelings about whether we should stay here or go home? This is Vice Mayor Larson. I move to adjourn. Mr. Finkelisle, second. Um, Mayor Shipley, I hear a first and a second. Vice Mayor Larson. Aye. Commissioner Finkeldye. Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn. Aye. Commissioner Sellers. Nay. <laughs> uh, this, uh, I'll say uh, <laughs> yes. So this passes for to one. <laughs> Good night, everyone.